You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Danny. If you're new to Bayshore, and so glad to see you guys today. I've already been to Fenway this morning. Campus there is doing so good, and we're just uh, seeing what God's doing here in our Rehoboth campus and everybody online. Let's welcome our online family right now. Hey, thank you guys for joining us for the message today. So glad you're here. And uh, we had some great worship today. You maybe didn't recognize some of the people up here today. We had two of our Rehoboth campus uh, worship leaders here today, Rob Holler and Leslie, and then and of course, our own Tom and Rose. So they did a great job. Would you give them a hand? They just did a great job leading worship today. It just really touched me. And I was just so blessed by that. So we're in a series called uh, Showdown in Egypt. And we're looking at the life of Moses and sort of his confrontation with Pharaoh. And we're looking at the stuff in this story. I just love this story. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Moses' response to God's call to go to Egypt. And it was a big moment in his life. There's a lot of people in the Old Testament that have these definitive calls from the Lord and Isaiah and different people that are called and how they respond to the call is interesting. But Moses's uh, response was, hey, thank you, but no thank you. He really didn't want to do the whole thing that God was calling him to do. And I want you to read with me. I'll read uh, a little bit for you and then you can follow along in Exodus chapter three, verses 11 uh, on into the twenties. And then we'll read a little bit in chapter four to get a feel for the story. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of the father of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And then chapter four, it says, uh, Exodus four, one through 17, Moses said, answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it to the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took it hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This is what the Lord is, uh, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand inside this cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous and it had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloaks, he said. So Moses put his hand back in the cloak. And when he took it out, he restored it like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe the two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry land. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. 
Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor in the uh, in, uh, since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. The Lord said, who gave you, who, who gave human beings their mouths? And then verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. He is already on his way and he will be glad to see you. So in the story, we see that Moses is uh, reluctant to go to Egypt, doesn't want to go to Egypt. Uh, and he articulates all these excuses why he wouldn't go to Egypt, why he didn't want to go to Egypt, why it's a bad idea to go to Egypt. And he's having this ongoing dialogue with God. I heard once about this librarian that always kept track of the different types of books that people bought together. And when they would come to the library to check out a book or books, she would kind of like pay attention to the books that they bought together or uh, checked out together. And one man came in one day and he bought, uh, checked out the book, Conversations with God. And the second book he checked out was by Jerry Spence, How to Argue and Win Every Time. So I think that what's happening here in the story of Moses, he's arguing with God about why he doesn't want to go to Egypt. And you would think this is such a big privilege. He's being called by God. He's had a, uh, an experience with the presence of God in the burning bush. You would think he'd be all over it. But Moses is like, God, no, thank you. I don't want to do it. And he gives him all of these excuses. Now, what's really interesting in the story is that there's this ongoing conversation between God and Moses, and God is responding patiently with Moses' objections. You know, Moses says, you know, hey, who am I? And then the Lord said, well, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Then the Lord said, you know, Moses said, well, you know, you know, I, I don't even know what your name is. How am I going to tell them who sent me? And then he said, you know, I am that I am. And so you see in the story, this conversation that God and Moses is having, and we learn something about God in the story that God allows you and he allows me to have a conversation with him about things that we don't understand, things that are really in our heart. You know, Moses isn't like pretending, hey, I can't wait to do this. He's saying, Lord, I don't want to do that. Now, I don't know if you can have that kind of, of conversation with the Lord, if you are having that kind of conversation with the Lord. But if you're not, the Lord wants you to be honest with him. The Lord knows everything that you're thinking. He knows everything that's going on in your mind. He knows what's in your heart. And why not own where you are in, in situations when you have a conversation with God? And that's what we learn from the story. One of the key things we learn is that Moses has this intimate relationship with God that he can tell God what's going on in his heart and mind. He's not pretending. He's not trying to be religious. He's not kind of going along and being religious. He's saying, God, I don't want to do it. And here's why I don't want to do it. When I was uh, younger, I used to play golf and uh, I was, I'm not a good golfer. And uh, I know we have people in this congregation and at the Fenwick Island campus that, that love to golf and golf is like a big thing to people. Uh, Pastor Chase at our Fenwick Island campus, he loves to golf. And there's some people here I know that are golfers, but I golfed for years and I hated to golf. I just hated it. Uh, I never told anybody I hated it because I thought it was a good thing to do. I'm hanging out with people and people would ask me, hey, do you want to go golfing on Wednesday? I'm like, oh man, all about it. Want to be there. Can't wait. And I'm like going along with this thing and I'm hating it the whole time. I'm thinking this is like this game 
costs too much, it takes too long, and it's making me not act like a Christian. So this is not a good game for me. And uh, so I'd go along with it. And I mean, it was terrible. I mean, I literally hated the golf. I hated it. But people would say, I had all these people that thought I loved golf. And uh, they would invite me out. I got invited out all the time to go golfing and all these nice country clubs. And, and I'm gaining weight. I'm riding around in a golf cart, eating Lance crackers all the time. I'm getting big. I'm not losing any weight. It's costing too much money. I'm hating it. And one day I decided... I don't like golf. I hate golf. I hope I never play golf again. I hope every golf club I ever seen just falls into the, into the ocean. I just, and I owned it one day and I didn't, I was nice to people. They would say, would you like to go golfing? No, I wouldn't like to go golfing. I hate to golf. I'm not going to golf anymore. And you know, that kind of honesty is liberating. It's liberating to be honest about things. And when you think about Moses, you know, he has this kind of relationship with God that he can be honest with God. In fact, in the, later in the book, uh, in the Old Testament, Moses is called the friend of God who God talked to face to face. Moses had this kind of relationship with God that was honest and intimate. In fact, there is no intimacy in any relationship where there's not honesty. The greater the honesty the greater the capacity for intimacy. You got a couple that, you know, are, are married and maybe something bad, dark has happened in the relationship and there's this secret in the relationship. It kind of derails the capacity for a couple to be intimate and be close to each other. So Moses had this intimate relationship with God and he could be honest with God. And if you read the book of Psalms, when you look in the Old Testament, one of the you know, biggest books in the Old Testament, probably the, the biggest book in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, and they're called the Psalter. The Psalms are a songbook where Moses and where David and other writers are honestly conversing with God. Psalm 22, King David, a man after God's own heart. He says to God in his relationship with God, God, why have you forsaken me? I, I, I pray and I don't hear you. So you see this intimate honesty that's going on between Moses and God. And one of the things we learn from this story is we learn that to have a close relationship with God, a real relationship with God, you have to be real with God. You can't have a real relationship with God and not be real with God. You've got to be honest with God. And if you look at the story, you see this incredible patience that God has with Moses. And Moses is coming with all these objections and all these questions. And God is patiently listening to Moses and he's giving Moses help. And God is not afraid of your concerns. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of your confusion. God is not afraid of your honesty. There's nothing you ever say to God that he says, wow, I never knew that. He already knows what you're thinking. So you want to be honest with God. I remember uh, when I was in Bible college, I went to this little Bible college in Pensacola, Florida. It was the first uh, leg of my education and it was a great little school, uh, but it wasn't very big. And the guy that taught me Greek uh, was a guy named Burl Bagwell. He was the professor of Greek in the Bible college. But because the Bible college was small, he was also the librarian. And he taught New Testament. And he probably cleaned the, the classrooms. I don't know what else he did, but he did everything. 
But I'm in uh, the library in Pensacola, Florida, Liberty Baba College, and I'm, I'm trying to learn Greek, and I've, I've got all these classes that I'm taking. And Burl Bagwell ran the library, and he's in his office on the other side of the librarian's desk. And as I'm trying to learn this tough language, I would go up to take my Greek New Testament, I would take my Greek grammar, I'd go up to the door, I'd knock on the door, and he'd say, come in, and I'd go in, and I'd ask him these questions about Greek. He would spend 10 or 15 minutes with me explaining to me. I'd go back to my desk and uh, in the and table in the library. I'd continue to study, continue to work, have another question. I'd go back, knock on the door. I did that all day long, all day long. And I thought, you know, later when I became a pastor, I thought, man, he, it must have been so annoying to him because I was just interrupting him all the time. But the thing was, is that he had this enormous patience to listen to my questions and he was willing to stop and listen and process with me. And the thing that you want to know about God is God has ultimate patience with you. When you're having questions, you don't understand why things are happening in your life. You don't understand why this is happening. You don't understand why all these things are occurring. You don't have to pretend to God, but you can be honest to the Lord. And it makes a huge difference. So Moses' first question was to God, his first objection was, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Egypt? He said, you know, he's, what he's saying is, God, you know, I'm not qualified to do this. He's been in the desert for the last 40 years taking care of sheep. He's been there among the, cati, uh, the cactus and the cacti. He's been there with all the lizards. He's been taking care of the sheep. He hasn't had an intelligent conversation with an educated person in 40 years. And now God is asking him to go to Egypt and stand in front of the most powerful man in the world and to demand that that man let the Jewish people go. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I? How can I ever do that? How can I ever do that? You ever been there where you got a mission? You got something you're called to do, something you're supposed to do, something that, you know, you're over your head. You have no idea what you're doing. And when you get in a situation where you're over your head, that's probably a sign that that's the Lord because he never puts you in a place where you can kind of do it yourself. He always puts you in a place where you're being stretched and you are being challenged and you don't know what you're doing and you need his help. Do you remember when you, uh, remember when you brought home your first baby? How many of your parents had that? Raise your hand for your parents. You remember when you brought that first baby home? I mean, you brought that baby home, you know, at the hospital. Corey Phoebus, who our worship leader, he had a, another baby the other day, he and his wife Heather, so that's why he's not here today. But, you know, you bring your first baby home and, you know, they, they wheel your, your wife out there in the little wheelchair in front of the hospital. She's holding that little baby and you got a car seat. Now, our, our boys were born in the 80s. Now, car seats in the 80s. They're, they're nothing like car seats today. The car seats in the 80s were sort of like, you know, two ropes in the back that the kids hanging on to, you know? <laughs> and, you know, you, you got this little baby and they give you a, a human being. They give you a person, a little person, and you don't know squat about raising that kid. They don't tell you what to feed it. What it's supposed to, you know, how you take care of it, how warm it's supposed to be. They tell you nothing. They give you more information at the DMV when you get your license. 
But you bring a baby home and you say, boy, you're, who am I? I'm way over my head. I need, the, I need some help here. I know when uh, I was pretty young when our first child was born and they brought that little baby out and Karen, you know, she's in the wheelchair and I'm thinking, I'm a moron. I have no idea how to take care of this baby. It's a big deal. Or maybe you're in a job that's over your head. You know, maybe you're in a situation, you know, you, you have no idea what you're doing. Sometimes God puts us in those places where we have no idea what we're doing. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I? And, and how can I go to Pharaoh? And we'll look at God's response to Moses. God's response to Moses was not, Moses, think positive. His response wasn't, Moses, I want you to have a positive attitude. I want you to say a hundred times a day, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. God didn't tell Moses to, you know, get, your, get out your Tony Robbins uh, tapes and be positive. What the answer was for Moses was, was I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, here's the thing. When you know that the Lord is with you, you will think positively. We tend to try to psych ourselves up with positive thinking, but the reality is we need to know that the Lord is with us when we're facing an issue that's bigger than we are. God is with us. He's there beside us. He's standing beside us. He is right at our side. And God said to Moses, Moses, when you go to Egypt and you stand before Pharaoh, I'll be with you. I'll stand right beside you. So whatever you're anticipating with some uh, intimidation that you're going into the future with, you know, maybe you're getting ready to go to school next fall, or maybe you're going back to school and you have no idea what you're doing. You're over your head and the Lord just wants you to know that he is with you. He's with you. He's going to help you. He's going to help you in everything that you enter into. God is with you. And that's a very, very important thing. And when Moses thinks, you know, I can't, I can't do this. Well, that's absolutely true. He can do that on his own. I want you, here's a little, uh, I bought this kite yesterday. This is, a, this is one of your high-end kites here. I mean, it's got Jurassic Park on the front of it. And uh, I paid $1.25 for this at Dollar Tree. So this is not your uh, really, really nice kite. But here's the thing about a kite. A kite is designed to fly. It's, it's by design, how the, 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 the little plastic pieces are put in the past, how it's shaped aerodynamically, it's designed to fly. And the fact is, although the kite is designed to fly, if the kite says, I want to fly, I need to fly, I should fly, I got to fly, it doesn't matter. The kite, even though it has a purpose, cannot fly unless the wind takes the kite and lifts it into the heaven. So when you think about Moses says, I can't do this. And Moses has been prepared and designed by God to go to Egypt and liberate the people. He's like this kite that says, I can't do it. And the Lord says, I will be with you. And the Lord is with you and he will cause his wind and his spirit to lift you up, to give you the capacity to do what you could not do on your own. Amen. So the Holy Spirit is the key to us being able to do what we're designed to do, but we cannot do on our own. 
And I just love that. I love that about Moses. You know, Moses was like, Lord, I can't do it. And the Lord didn't say, well, Moses, you know, you know, start thinking more positive. Moses start like, you know, come on now, get a better attitude. He said, Moses, I want you to know when you stand before Pharaoh in that court and that palace in Egypt, don't be intimidated by that, that Pharaoh on the throne. Don't be afraid of that Pharaoh by, on the throne because I am with you and I created everything. I'm the great creator of all things. If you've ever been to Greece, uh, my men's group that I, have, uh, that I had this fall and winter uh, on the, uh, we studied the book of Acts and we studied, I think recently, chapter 17 in Acts, where Paul is preaching on Mars Hill. And he's standing before all these skeptics. He's standing before all these people that are, you know, uh, making fun of him. They called him a little uh, seed picker. This, who's this guy? A little seed picker picking up ideas everywhere. And while, Mo, while, while Paul is preaching in Greece, if you've ever been to Greece, you've ever been to Marshall, behind him is the Parthenon that was built 500 years before Christ. That Parthenon is huge. And you think about little bow-legged Paul standing there before the aristocrats of Athens. He's standing there, a little bald head, a little crooked nose, and he's preaching under the power of God because God is with him. See, God said to Moses, Moses, I will be with you. I'll be with you. I have not left you. I'm going to be with you. And there's some people here today that you just need to know that God is with you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Uh, I was uh, hunting one day. I was out in the field hunting and I was in this blind and uh, it was a beautiful day. I think it was in January and I'm looking through the little windows in the blind and I'm looking for game and I didn't see any game, but I'm just having a nice time. I got my Tootsie Rolls and I got everything I need for a nice hunting trip. And there, there were all these snowbirds that started swirling around my blind. I mean, there were, there were thousands of them and I'm not exaggerating. There were thousands of them. There were thousands of these snowbirds just everywhere. And finally, they just kind of settled down and they, they, they lay on the ground. And there were so many that the ground literally turned black. It looked like the ground was completely black because it was covered with thousands of birds. And I'm looking at my little window in my blind and I'm thinking, I got to get a picture of this. I got to get a picture of this. So I had my little fanny pack on, my little camouflage fanny pack that my phone's in. So I start to zip that fanny pack open to get my phone and start as I zipping up the fanny pack out, they heard it and they all flew away. And I thought later, you know what? I was there all the time and those birds never knew I was there. Those birds never knew I was even there. And here's what you need to remember. Sometimes you need to know that God is there even if you don't know he's there. Amen. 
God is there. You know, there's two times that God is with you. There's, and one time is when you feel God, you feel, his, you feel the goosebumps, you feel everything happening. It's just so wonderful. You feel the Lord, you feel his grace. You listen to Bethel music and you're crying in the car and you feel God and you come to church and the, the worship team is just nailing it and I'm preaching good and it's, everything is good and you meet all your friends and you're feeling God. God is with you then. And sometimes you come and sometimes you're going through life and you feel nothing. You're like David in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's the thing. God is with you even when you don't feel him with you. God is with you when you feel him. God is with you when you don't feel him. And Moses is saying, I don't feel it, Lord. I don't feel like going to Egypt. I don't think I can do this. And the Bible says that when he went to Egypt, the Lord said, I will be with you. I will be with you. So I want you to say this with me today. I want you to say this. The Lord is with me always. One more time, real loud, everybody. The Lord is with me always. So the Lord said to Moses, uh, Moses said, Lord, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to do this? Who am I to do this? And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And then he says, Lord, what if they, what if they ask me what your name is? What if they ask me what your name is? What shall I say? I don't know what your name is. And that's a real perplexing part of the story. And perplexing part of the story is, is simply that we just don't know why. We don't know why uh, Moses didn't know God's name. And maybe did the people in Egypt, had they been there for 400 years, they forgot God's name. But God gives, him, gives Moses this answer. And the answer is, Moses, when they ask you what my name is, say, I am that I am. I am that I am. And that's the Hebrew uh, form of the word to be, to be. God is saying to Moses, I am, I exist. I am a reality. And why was that uh, response given to, uh, to Moses to give to the Israelites in Egypt? Why did he tell them that? Well, if you've been in, you've been in slavery for 400 years and you've been in darkness and you've been going through horrific difficulty, you know, you may begin to wonder if God is real. You may begin to wonder if God really is there, if he does exist. And so they're living in this dark period, this dark time in their life, this difficult time in their life. And, and Moses comes and he says to them, God says, I am, I exist. And pretty much every person at some point when they're going through the darkest valleys of their life, they're going through the most difficult times of their life. They begin to wonder if God is real. They begin to wonder if God exists. They begin to wonder, is this whole thing just made up? And so the children of Israel, they've been, they've been making bricks for 430 years. They're sunburnt, they're tired, they're poor. They're, uh, they've been suffering year after year after year. And when you suffer and when you go through perplexing times, 
And when you go through difficulty, your mind begins to tell you, is God really real? And when Moses showed up, what's his name? His name is I am. I am. And I want you to know this morning, doesn't matter how dark your time is, doesn't matter how difficult you, your, your season of life is, doesn't matter what has happened in your life, it's all very, very painful stuff. Your mind begins to tell you when you're in a dark place, is God really real? And I'm here to tell you, God is real. Moses says, I am that I am. And that's what the Lord said to Moses, say, I am that I am has sent you. And what is my name? What is my, what's his name according? And the Israelites asking him, what is his name? I am. And here's what the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews 11 says, 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's impossible without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what's the first layer of faith? So those that come to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Amen. So you come into church today, you read in your Bible, you, you know, serve in the Lord and all that. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please him. When we come to God, we must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So that's an incredible, incredible part of the story. And uh, Moses says, tell them that I am that I am. And it's a wonderful, wonderful part of the story there. And uh, then, he, uh, then he says this, he says, uh, he says, Lord, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe what I say? What if I get there and they don't believe what I say? They don't believe it. And the Lord said to Moses, what's in your, what's in your hand? And Moses says, it's a staff. And he said, the Lord said, I want you to throw the staff to the ground. And he threw the staff to the ground and became a snake. How many have ever seen that scene in the Ten Commandments, that old movie where the, he throws the staff down and it becomes a snake? So what does that mean? What does it mean? Why did the staff turn into a snake? Why did it become a snake? Well, if you uh, were to go back in those days and you stood before the Pharaoh, he's got a crown on. And on the crown of his head, he's got a cobra. And it was to honor the god uh, Wajit. And Wajit, the this cobra god, was supposed to protect the pharaoh. In fact, you know, when a pharaoh would die, they would take a, they would take a cobra, bronze cobra, and put it in his tomb. And Wajit, the cobra, was supposed to protect the pharaoh and spit venom at anybody that threatened the pharaoh. He also had a falcon, which honors the Horus God. So when you see the, uh, you see the cobra on the, on the crown of Pharaoh and Moses throwing down his rod and it becomes a cobra. It's showing that God is going to use 
a humble shepherd with a little shepherd's rod. And he's going to come and he's going to humble. He's going to rule over the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he takes that snake by the tail, which I don't think you're supposed to grab a snake by the tail. I think you want, that's, I think you want to grab it by the head. But he grabs it by the tail and that cobra straightens out into a staff showing that ultimately the shepherd is going to win. So when you think about the world that you live in, you look at, you look at Washington, D.C., you look at the Capitol building, you look at the White House, you look at Buckingham Palace, you look at all the powerful people in this world, you look at all the great politicians and you look at Congress and all that, we have a tendency to think that all power resides in those forms and figures of power. But I want you to know that you're part of a kingdom. You're part of God's kingdom that will ultimately prevail over all sector rule on this planet. And you're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And when we stand before Pharaoh, we look at Pharaoh and think, oh my gosh, they're the big kahuna. There's the one calling the shots. They're in control. But Moses threw down that rod, and as he threw down that rod, it became a snake, and he grabbed it by the tail, showing that God was going to take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He was going to take the, the simple things of this world to confound the wise. And when you look at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says, everything in this world can be shaken. Everything that we are experiencing in this world can be shaken. Banks can be shaken. Governments can be shaken. Institutions can be shaken. But the Bible says we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so, hey, listen, it looks like, it looks like Moses, this little humble, you know, a backwater covered in dust shepherd comes and he stands before the power of this world. He stands before the elite leader of this world. And the, and the leader's got that, that snake on top of his crown. The crown, that little cobra is looking at Moses. And Moses throws the rod down and it becomes the cobra. And Moses rules over the cobra. I want you to just say this with me this morning. I want you to say, I belong to the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of God will prevail over the kingdoms of this world. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Amen. Amen. So then, we're almost done here. Then he takes a, God tells him to take a, uh, some water out of the Nile River. And he takes water out of the Nile River and he pours it out and it becomes blood. The first plague is actually the, the Nile becoming blood. Now the Egyptians believed, they believed that the Nile was a gift of the gods to Egypt. It was a gift from the gods to the Egyptians. So the Nile River would overflow its banks. And if you've had world history in, in college or whatever, the Nile would overflow the banks and they would create very, it would create very fertile soil. And so Egypt, you know, produced all this bread and all this wheat. And 
the average Egyptian and the political Egyptians and all the people in control and Pharaoh believed that the Nile River was a gift to the gods. So Moses comes and he dips into that Nile and he takes that water and he shows, as he pours the water out, it becomes blood, showing that the Lord will rule over even the most valuable thing in Egypt. And as Moses is doing this, he's demonstrating that there is one God, that there is a superior God, that there is a God who is above all other gods, a God that, that is to be worshipped by everyone and to be honored by everyone. And we see as Moses rules and comes into Egypt and he performs these signs one by one that he's demonstrating the greatness of God, the greatness of God. So when we go through... Our life, we go through the stuff that we're going through. We go through the, the vicissitudes, the twists and turns of life for us. We go through all these twists and turns. And we begin to wonder, is God real? Is God there? Is he hearing us? And what the story teaches us is that there is a strong, mighty God that rules over everything. Amen. That he's watching over you. And he's watching over me. And when I feel like I'm in a dark place or I feel like I don't know what's going on uh, and I you know, wonder, is God even there? Moses comes and he stands before the Israelites and he says, I am. I am. And God is the great I am for you. God is the great I am for you right now. God is the great I am for me. And as I go into this week, uh, don't know what's coming this week. Uh, I don't know what's going to face me this week. I don't know what's going to face you this week. But the Lord said to Moses, Moses, hey, don't sweat it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I am that I am. Uh, I, I remember when we, uh, when Karen's mom was living, wonderful uh, wonderful lady. I loved my mother all so much. She was such a wonderful lady. She was just such a detailed woman and all that. She was really big at Christmas time on, uh, on us making sure that Jesus was a part of Christmas and all the commercialism and all this stuff. And she wanted to make sure the grandkids and all the kids knew that Jesus was a part of Christmas. And I remember her way of doing that was to have a birthday cake for Jesus. And so we'd have a birthday cake and it was a, always a Watergate cake. It was, you know, had the green icing on it. Does anybody know what a Watergate cake is? I don't know if you ever had one of those. They're not that good, but anyhow, there are, you know, <laughs> we had it every year for Christmas. And always, I, I thought it was wonderful, but I always played the devil's advocate. I said, mom, it's the birthday of Jesus. How many candles we put on that cake? How many, how many candles do we put on that cake? Because Bethlehem wasn't the beginning. Jesus is the eternal son of God. And every year they'd get the cake out and we'd all sing happy birthday to Jesus. And I say, how many candles do we put on that cake? Because you know what? Before Moses was ever born, Jesus was. Before the mountains were ever formed, Jesus was. Before the Milky Way was ever formulated, Jesus existed. 
And Jesus is the great I am. You know, who do, who do I say sent me, Moses said, and God said, I am sent you. They come to the garden in John chapter 12, the garden of Gethsemane to capture Jesus. And they are there to arrest him and incarcerate Jesus. And he, they say, uh, he says, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And the Bible says in John that all of the soldiers fell to the ground just at his words. The great I am. He's bigger than you think he is. He's stronger than you can imagine. Jesus is the eternal son of God. John F. Kennedy, when he was in the, uh, when he was in the uh, White House, he had on his desk uh, this little plaque, and it was an old Britain, British prayer, old uh, fisherman's Brit British prayer, and it says, Oh God, your sea is so great, and my boat is so small. Oh God, your sea is so great, and my boat is so small. We all have a small boat. Moses said, Lord, my boat's too small for what you want me to do. But God is able to help you. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Let the Holy Spirit move this morning. He's speaking to people. He's encouraging people. He is the great I am. The word of the Lord in the book of Genesis is to encourage you that he's with you. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. And if you're in the dark place, he is, he is, he is real. Father, we thank you for the power of the Lord. Power of the Lord that's greater than all the kingdoms of this world, greater than Washington, D.C., greater than Moscow, greater than any. Your kingdom is great. You are the great king of your kingdom. So, Father, we're a part of your great kingdom. And I pray as we go into this new week that you'll help us to know, regardless of our emotions, that you're with us, that you're with us all the time. And we ask you to help us as we walk forward in this week. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.